Welcome to SBO Perspectives, the pulse of school business. In the official podcast of ASBO International. The official podcast. And I am Dr. Jack R. Mitchell, here along with the esteemed John Bricado. John Bricado, do we have something in store for our listeners today? Yes, sir, we do. Powerhouse. Powerhouse indeed. Not, yes. Go I guess ahead. we've been yeah, we've been looking forward to for a long time to oh, have on the yeah. podcast. Um, yes. she is the ultimate resource when it comes to school finance. The we ultimate. Have, the ultimate. We have Dr. Marguerite Rosa. She is the director of the Edunomics Lab and research professor at Georgetown University, uh, at, specifically at their McCourt School of Public Policy. And I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you definitely know who Dr. Rosa is. And we dive into a lot of the topics that she's been discussing with her and her team, uh, but mm-hmm. more so... Um, the spending in school finance and how we as school business officials can get a little bit more proficient in articulating the challenges and the needs of, of our individual districts. And she gives us kind of a, a taste of the landscape to come beyond just the federal funding and then that potential fiscal cliff. So it's Thanks been a, yeah, a really great conversation. We know all of you are going to love it today. So here's our conversation with Dr. Marguerite Rosa. Today in the podcast, we have Dr. Marguerite Rosa. Dr. Rosa is the director of Edunomics Lab and research professor at Georgetown University's McCourt School of Public Policy. Dr. Rosa, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Yes, yes. Welcome, Dr. Rosa. This is, um, again, as I said before we got on, uh, very exciting. Uh, and I just, you know, elated that you came on and uh, can um, talk to us and really, you know, for our, really our our listeners, uh, being SBOs all across the country as well as the world, it's just to say we're as one national, so it's great. Um, but as we do with, with anyone who comes on, before we, you know, get into, um, you know, really gaining more of a sense, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about your background, you know, your experience, and I guess really what your role is with the McCourt uh, School at Georgetown University? Sure. Um, so I direct the Edgenomics Lab. It's a research center at the McCourt School of Public Policy, which is one of the departments at Georgetown University. And um, at Genomics Lab, we um, were almost 11 years old, and um, we started it up as a, um, a center dedicated really to education finance. And we have a heavy emphasis on the spending side of education money. So there are a lot of groups out there that focus on revenues, and we do focus on revenues also. But what I think makes us a little bit different from most other organizations, we are also heavily focused on how the money plays out in the system, how it, um, how school districts spend it, what they spend it on, how it lands on the different um, schools, what does that mean for students, and how we look at um, measuring whether our investments are working. So mm-hmm. that's what we Hence do. Hence the term edunomics, which I love, by the way. Right, right. I mean, there's nothing like that, but it's a very intricate process. And I would take credit for that, but that is my colleague, Laura Anderson, who really kind of thinks more about those things. So. But it's yeah. great. It is economics <laughs> of education. And, I mean, it's it's so awesome. It's ingenious. And I, I really appreciate, you know, you guys. But I know um, for us, just I can say going to one of your presentations it's almost like a coming to moment. Like I, I call it, you know, I'm not saying I, I feel the Holy Ghost something like that, but what, what I understand is that the way you allay the numbers 
and show how everything fits in education, it's just a, it's just an amazing thing. It's a really amazing yeah, thing. Yeah. So, and, and it's interesting. You say you focus on the spending uh, for school districts because a lot a lot of the time. You know, Jack and I are very much involved in our state organization, and a lot of the advocacy focuses on the funding and the revenues coming in. What prompted you to focus on how school districts are spending their money rather than how they're receiving their money? I don't know. It seemed like a self-harm kind of thing to do. <laughs> I, well, no, I say that because there were no data at the beginning. There really yeah. was no yeah. information. And yes, there's always been like the summary expenditures by districts, but that the breakdown, how much on instruction or how much on instructional support or administration just didn't really tell you anything. Um, and, and I think the idea was if we could really dig in and look into it, we could learn what works and what doesn't and how to leverage even limited dollars to deliver more value for students. So since we started, we now have massive data sets, like the NERDS data set that allows you to see spending by school, not just by district. Um, and I think for, for, for me, there's just, um, you know, just a, a, a curiosity there. The Yes, federal and state lawmakers decide the revenues, but um, all across the country in 14,000 different districts, it's um, all the people who are working in districts, the SBOs, together with their school boards, who decide how to spend it. Right. And uh, so I knew there was going to be a lot of interesting stuff there. Right. And so can you tell us a little bit more of how Edgenomics really began and what the impetus was behind the organization? And with that, how do you focus on your overall, overall objective and, and what are you really trying to accomplish? Well, I, I mean, I started uh, my, my career with a PhD in education and really fo the, the focus of the learning was heavily on the revenues. And so um, I knew there was a, a gap there and had started at a different research center um, at the University of Washington. I left there and went to work for a short amount of time at the Gates Foundation where you just have a chance to kind of think on the other side of like what could be, you know, sort of like a, a, a dream big kind of place. And then when I went back to academia, um, I thought, we well, I can tell there's not a lot of expertise on the spending side around the country. And there are not a lot of academic programs on it. Let's mm -hmm. build something that connects with everybody. That's not just about one school and the students in one school. So... Um, so that, you know, Georgetown was open to the idea, built the research center there. We connect with, um, we wanted to build a new training program that really focused a little more heavily on the spending side and, um, and then make it available and open to anyone, whether you're enrolled in another university or you're um, a current practitioner inside a school district. And, and that's sort of how we built the certificate in ed finance. And, and when, when you look at the program, are you kind of keeping stock in how you're achieving your goals independently, or do you have other organizations kind of do any kind of rating or peer review? We're just out there on our own. <laughs> but well, <laughs> I will say we look really, so right when we first did the, our first cohort of the certificate in ed finance, we, we aimed for 20 students, we got 40 students. And they were wow. um, some more advocacy organizations, school district leaders, um, charters, state leaders, federal leaders, et cetera. Now the program runs um, somewhere between two and four cohorts a year, usually around 100 students in each cohort. Wow, so wow. We're, we're, our growth is our biggest, um, I think, 
um, reflection of whether or not people find value. The other thing is the number one referral for our programs comes from people who've already done it. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, we do have a lot of engagement in that sense. Um, and that's, I think, what we're using as our major um, assessment there. So now if people participate in our certificate program, or any of our programs, they get uh, the credits through um, whether they're CPA credits or CEUs or all the different mm-hmm. kinds. So that's another external validation, I think. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, you know, because you, you've been alluding to um, this program. And I know that um, our organization, Asthma New York, right, partnered up uh, a couple years ago to offer this one-of-a-kind uh, certificate experience, which is great. Um, just for those listening, you mentioned a few things, but why overall might one want to acquire a certificate? And then actually, I want, also want to say, who should you know seek one and and look to get one? Whether it makes sense for someone who's you know pursuing uh, finance and school business or not, you know, is there any special time or experience that maybe they should have um, you know to to go through this program? Um, that's that's a, a great question. So the the program is really diverse in the sense that it brings in people from all levels. So we've had um, lots of CFOs and lots of budget directors, different kinds of people in the finance space. We've also had um, state ed chiefs. We've had superintendents. We've had someone new to the field who's just trying to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. We've had school board members and journalists and advocacy organizations. Wow. Um the, the people at the Federal Department of Ed who kind of oversee some of the, the federal investments. That's it's great. really a cross-section. And I would say our biggest group is um, those who are in finance offices in school districts. And um, they come kind of early, mid, or even late career. The program is really about thinking about money more strategically. And a lot of finance routines are routines, right? They're like every year, this time of year, we prepare this document. Then we prepare Mm -hmm. this document. Then we deliver to the board. Then we prepare this document. And this is really about stepping back and saying, let's make some trade-offs. Let's think about different competing ideas and um, step away from the process for a minute and really be mentally strategic as we do this. So we're really trying to build people's skills at talking about money at um, helping communities weigh trade-offs, really assessing whether their investments are working or not, and if we're going to make changes, how do we get from here to there? That is fascinating because you know the the job itself can be very cyclical, but sometimes it takes just a, a, a third party and outside view to kind of say maybe we should look at something a little bit differently. Can you recall? Any specific testimonials from any of your previous students or those that have acquired the certificate that said, thank you so much for allowing me to take this this course. I'm now doing X, Y, and Z in my budgeting process or our spending process that you can, you know, as a director of the program say, wow, this is, we're really servicing school districts across this, uh, the nation. Yes, we, we, we get those all the time. So once people have participated in our program, they stay in touch. And so we have we always have office hours that are part of it. And if you've ever done our program, you get to come to any of the future office hours whenever you want. Um, but yes, what we hear is that a lot of times it overhauls how they talk about their budget with their board, with other people inside the district, how they weigh trade-offs, how they do uh, a little bit of forecasting. The, the communications piece is brand new for most people who've done yeah. it. And um, 
uh, and, and even the kind of data they'll bring to budget decisions. Like, so normally you bring a lot of financial data to budget decisions. Now they're starting to bring um, some data on student outcomes or what, what are we seeing with attendance? Does it look like our investments in counselors are helping bring attendance up? Do we want to make a shift here? So I think those are some of the, the biggest changes that, that we've seen. The other one is that um, leaders feel more confident leading the conversation. Sure. And part of that, again, comes with the, co the communications piece. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're expecting CFOs, budget directors to lead the conversation in their communities. And many have taken a, I do what they tell me to do kind of role. And yeah. after participating in this, they're like, actually, it's my job to do some steering here, to, to chime in and, and share information. And I feel more confident about doing so. It's really encouraging to hear. I mean, a lot of our colleagues that we've spoken to, I think, have approached the job that way where it's, you know, we're just a facilitator and trying to make the money work, uh, but really kind of coming at it from a behind the scenes approach. So to hear that you offer an opportunity to get more comfortable with the communications aspect of the job is is great and, and really encouraging. But, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of the data that you've been working on with Edgenomics. So let's just kind of dive into that a little bit more. Um, with your data, I mean, what what can somebody anticipate with the data collection that you, you've taken? Um, we know you take kind of like a holistic approach to to collecting this data, but, you know, what are these critical data points that people can look like? What is your database kind of function? Like, what, what can people really anticipate when diving into all of this data that you've accumulated over the years of, of with Edgenomics? So for, first thing we would do is if somebody says, hey, have you heard about what's going on in fill-in-the-blank district? I, I would start because we have, um, we have uh, on our website these scatter plots that are spending versus outcomes. So I would immediately look up the schools in the district to say um, how much money are they spending and what kind of outcomes are they getting? Um, what's the demographics of their students? And we put that immediately into context. Like I could pull it up on any any school right now and say, well, this is a relatively expensive school. Given the mix of students here, I would guess that the school could be doing better with its students. Or, wow, they're knocking it out of the park, and this is a ROI superstar in a way. So that's my first take is how much money and what are the outcomes relative to peers with schools with yes. the same mix of kids. Mm -hmm. You can't go compare some country club affluent neighborhood school to, um, you know, an, an, an inner, inner city. Yeah, yeah. with a lot of um, immigrant populations coming in. Mm -hmm. So then I would say, all right, let's get behind the numbers and let's look at the district. What are the enrollment trends? Because you can tell right away if it's going to be financially healthy or if they're in the process of some sort of downsizing. What are the major cost drivers? So um, are we seeing that salaries are a disproportionate part of the budget? Are benefits disproportionate part? And now we've sort of overgiven in on benefits and we could do more with salaries. Are we seeing special ed um, sort of grow leaps and bounds and in a way that feels like it's, it's the tail wagging the dog? Um, what do we look at for the forecast? Do we see that in a year from now there's going to be major gaps in the in the budget and this district's about to do a lot of layoffs um, or a program cuts? So we get a financial sense of, of where they're going. And then we start asking what's working and what's not. So 
you know, we can look at what happened to math scores be before the pandemic to now. Um, are there investments to get the kids back on track? If they've made investments to get kids back on track, are they working, right? So if we did a big push, I mentioned before, for counselors, is attendance coming back up? And if not, and this is where the financial leadership really matters, the financial leaders are the ones who need to say, we made this investment. You tell me why we should continue it. Is it working? And I think most people in education aren't wired that way. Like they're not, they're not economists, right? Okay. They, they came yeah. up through education or colleges of education and they, um, they they think about uh, pedagogy and instruction. They don't say, does this investment deliver this value? And somebody has to do that. And that's where we're, we're leaning that's on. You. Financially. And yeah. so with all this data, are, are you looking at it and seeing maybe certain thresholds that your team sets to say like this school or this district may be in financial jeopardy? And are you maybe going a step further and reaching out to these these districts that might be facing some kind of fiscal cliff? Or is this more of uh, let's collect this data, analyze it. And if a, if a school district comes to us, we'll help kind of analyze and, and set them on the right path. More the latter. They come to us, we'll, we'll help them out. Right, so, awesome. And we do see that, right? So districts with massive enrollment declines are running a whole bunch of under-enrolled schools that are going, you know, that are going to now spiral the district, right? Because they don't have yep. enough money to provide extracurriculars and then parents are going to get mad and more of them are going to leave. So, or you've just agreed to a labor contract you really can't afford. Right. Um, so how do we how do we sort of pace people's expectations going forward? So we we're we're more if you come to us we'll we'll definitely engage with you and people do do come they they come through all these programs. We actually are doing a um, a, a large workshop on the fiscal cliff in September. So and that'll be open open to everybody. It's um it's four days, two hours each day, and it's virtual and, and live, and people get a packet in the mail, but they can look up their own data. We're going to walk oh, wow. through their own data. They can basically have this experience on their own district to get ready to, to be able to talk about that. That's really okay. special. Yeah, oh, it's a wild great. ride nice. workshop because the finances, <laughs> they're going to be a wild ride. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you've mentioned about a and I've also looked on the website, you have about a dozen research areas or so, right? And um. And that's one of the reasons why I want to have you on, right? To kind of maybe, you know, talk about, especially I want to say your study on um, school spending and enrollment, right? And um, what you presented earlier um, last month. If it's possible, and I mean, this is to me, this is one of the reasons why I say to have you on here because it's, um, you know what, I want to say this, it's almost akin to like Kramer for stocks, like his enthusiasm that you bring to the presentation, I have to say, is, is about the same. But really want to know more of a, a brief backdrop and maybe perhaps even expound on, on somewhat of the study because this is huge. And I, I mean, I see now, like you said, you have this workshop in October, but part of that does relate to this, right? Because enrollment does finance your district. The more mm -hmm. enrollment you have, the more potential state aid, the more money you have coming in. And if that is kind of drying up, what you've shown, right, then what is the challenge here? How can we get through this with school spending, you know, continuing to rise? Well, um, so I'm, I'm glad you say that. I'm enthusiastic about this because some people mistakenly think that school finance is boring. And I no. say mistakenly because... <laughs> 
oh my gosh, it's all about money and who doesn't love money? And if you want to know where all the bodies are buried, you start digging into the money. But there anyway, you go. <laughs> so we don't think we don't think there's there's a boring minute at all when you're we're doing at finance. But um, the study you're talking about is exactly right across the country. We've seen in the last decade school districts add staff while they have lost students. So schools are staffed up to a higher level than ever before right now. Um, and that's a 10-year period, which was um, really saw a lot of growth because of ESSER money, right? The federal relief funds came in, mm -hmm. we let spend it. Tons Schools of money. Districts do, they hire people. So we've seen that, and it doesn't look sustainable. And, um, and there are exceptions. So for uh, Florida, yeah, we know, Texas, we know your districts are growing, so congratulations. But really across the rest of the country, we're not, um, the pattern is going to be one of probably shrinking in the next um, two to four years. That's really hard for districts because um, it's way, you know, way easier to hire people, hire people than it is to say, thank you for coming, we, we don't need you anymore. And many of them have negotiated uh, last in, first out layoff policies. Um, it's hard, you know, people say, we'll do it through attrition. The problem is the wrong people leave in the sense that you might be left with way too many ceramics teachers and no math, science, or special ed Correct. teachers. And so you'll have this misalignment and, and potentially, you know, these um, half empty schools with um, the wrong mix of staff. We call them like zombie schools that nobody's happy at all. Yep. So districts are going to have to get proactive and it's going to be a challenging part um, for the next couple of years and use a skill set they have not really tapped into for the last decade and think about how do we right size um, or reshape our district and leverage the money we do have to deliver the best value for our kids. And I guess this is more of I don't know if you have hard data on this or if this is maybe just an anecdotal observation from you and your team, but with this major influx of funding from the federal government and many districts spending it on staffing, are you seeing that there are plans in place to softly land the plane to transition to a more sustainable model or are districts just kind of holding on for dear life and, and hoping that they can make it through with all of these extra people that they've hired in their districts? I think there's a lot of... Um, there's not enough quantitative analysis about how big the gap is. So there are, I hear district leaders saying, well, you know, we'll use attrition or, um, and th these are not no normally the finance teams. These right. are potentially uh, their leaders in the district saying, um, well, you know, we've, we can probably move some of our staff around um, or things like that over time. Or we're, this is this one, we're looking for a funding source um, for that to cover those costs. And, you know, there will be some districts out there that can pass a levy and cover some of that money, but the magnitudes are, are these gaps are larger than anything we've seen in the past. And those mm -hmm. magnitudes can only be communicated by the finance team because they're the ones who can say, the gap we're looking at is a gap in money and then quantify it. Like, we would have to lay off 122 people in order to be able to, so that that gets people's attention, right? Correct. Or we would have to um, close two schools and eliminate all of their staff in order to be able to do this. And and then there's this sense that, oh, we, we might need to do something sooner rather than later. So my sense is, you know, mostly uh, finance leaders are worried and yet haven't done the best job of getting 
the rest of the people on the team um, up to speed on how big the gaps are. So looking back in retrospect, do you feel that this federal funding accomplished what it was set out to do? Or has it arguably created more issues for school districts down the road? Probably both. Um, <laughs> and let's be honest that the federal money, it did some amazing things, right? We right. A, mm-hmm. a lot of kids who had, didn't get special ed services got some recovery services, and that paid for those. A lot of schools that were, that were where families and communities were scared to come back, it paid for you know, whatever the the modifications were to make that happen. It um, allowed for, uh, paid for a lot of subs and bus drivers and things like that, that were, we were, there were some rough times in there when we were trying to get things back on track. And, um, and so I think there's, those were all really, really good things. On the other hand, um, it's also the case that school district, school districts may have been lulled into um, a, 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 t- a financial um, state of mind that they can't afford. Right. And and for some of them, even in, I hear school districts say, well, those have always been temporary employees. You know, they might go away. Except no one in education feels like they're a temporary employee. Right. They sort of assume I have this job if I want it as long as I want it. And that's going to be tough. Uh, that's going to be a tough conversation. To swallow. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been a major focal point of, of many school districts topics of conversation because we're talking about multi-million dollar investments here. We spent the past couple of minutes kind of focusing on that, but tell us what else do you see in your data that could be a potential challenge for school districts and school business officials in the next few years outside of this lack of federal funding that, that has dried, dried up? Well, um, so so some states are in more uh, financial pain than others. So and yes. I, New York is, is one of those ones that doesn't mm-hmm. look great. Illinois, uh, California, some of the bigger ones, um, are Oregon and in places like that. There's some financial uh, pain pain they're coming just because the revenues aren't going to grow as fast as they had. There will also be in all states a lot more demand on state money because the federal relief funds didn't just fund education. They funded a lot of health care and they funded a lot of other social services, um, some growth in Medicaid and things like that. So states are higher ed. I mean, they're seeing enrollment losses too. And community colleges are going to come say, can we have some more money? We don't want our community college to close. So education is just going to be one priority facing um, the state lawmakers, and that those are going to be tough trade-offs. But I think the same thing is true down inside districts. They're going to say, well, we added counselors, and we added some extracurriculars, some uh, math programs and reading programs, and now we've got to make cuts. Which one should we cut? And I, the system doesn't hasn't had a lot of experience wrestling with trade-offs. So we keep the counselors. Should we keep the librarians? Should we keep the extracurriculars? Which one? We've got to make a decision and, and balance these different trade-offs. We could shorten the school year. We could walk back some pay raises. We could go for a leaner benefits plan. We could raise class sizes. And I think communities should wrestle with a range of options, not just say, here's our balanced plan, because people will go, I hate it. But if we say, here's five options, also they're all not great. Let's figure out which one we want. Then people have a place where they can weigh in. And that's what we're going to need to see. 
Yeah. And I, I can say specifically for Jack and I in New York, uh, you know, you had mentioned it's one of the states that isn't looking so great. And we definitely have our eye on that too, because our main state funding source was fully funded for the first time since really its inception. And there was a lot of excitement and applause around this decision. (laughs) But, you know, when we look five years down the road, our own state comptroller is projecting statewide deficits. So we don't know if we're going to be back in a situation where they're clawing back money or not fully funding it again. So the good times, I think we're in them right now, but I'm not sure how long that's going to last in perpetuity. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's just something too, I think even down South though, you you didn't uh, mention this, Dr. Rosa, but I know we had a few states like Oklahoma, um, and, and also, you know, for, where they're now doing more money to the private schools too. So now we got a, no, a new conversation, right? Public and private, like how's the funding going to work there? Now public, fu- public schools lose some of their funding, right? So that's another p- possible added stressor in the future. But um, I want to just make mention real quick um, because we're winding down here of your newsletter. Um, I got to tell you, it's really amazing. And I mean, it touches on all the points, you know, we feel they need to be addressed, right? Currently in school business. And I'm I'm more so curious, like, how do you really go about specifically delivering such content? And I guess, um, why do you feel when you make those decisions on the content, like the issues you address are important? Yeah, thank, thank you for bringing it up because it's a relatively new thing for Edgenomics Lab. We've been, I think, two years in or so on the newsletter. It comes out about-ish once a month, and it's supposed to be short. People can just, like, glance it and get, like, an idea they might not have gotten somewhere else. Um, it's supposed to be really timely information, kind of wrap up a thought that we've been seeing floating around in various things. So, um, and and hopefully for people who are not, like, the kind that read War and Peace, long volumes of things, that they're more accessible um, with for people. So if you, people want to sign up, Certainly. go to edgenomicslab.org, and there's a sign-up right on our homepage. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we, we, we're we constantly thinking about it, you know, toying with the idea. Um, and we, and we, you know, when we're, we're ready to say something, that's when the newsletter comes out. So uh, it's not like we hold ourselves to the schedule on that. We wait till there's... Okay. Something point of, about so if that. you see it come through, you know it's important. But I think so. I mean, I think that's <laughs> what we're we're thinking. I I will say, um, you know, and then just kind of a preview of something else we've been thinking about. But the pandemic was the era of the virologist, right? Like they were the the the, the number one. I think in some ways this next few years is going to be the era of the the school finance officials and school districts because they're all at like all this tension and. And um, strategy and everything is going to come back down to the people who understand the numbers. And so it's it's going to be this moment where, you know, you, you're you're up and it's your okay. turn. And um, and, you know, let's make the most of this moment because it's it's going to be high stakes. All the more uh, to enroll in your program and get those communication right. skills fine tuned. Right. Right. I, I could see <laughs> Edgenomics actually uh, maybe starting an AI model themselves, right? To, to spread across districts. Maybe that's the next thing coming down the pike there. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking too yeah. soon there. <laughs> like the chat GBT for Ed Finance. Kind right. Of. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Easy Q&A. <laughs> Dr. Rosa, thank you so much. And as, as we wind down here uh, with any guests that we have on our podcast, we always give them a parting opportunity to leave with some uh, parting words of advice for our listenership. So 
if you're speaking to a school business official who's been in the seat for their entire career or somebody who's really just starting out and not really sure where to begin, what kind of advice can you impart to our listenership today? Well, um, I would say buckle up. It's going to be years. And I've been doing school finance for a really long time, and I've never seen anything like what we're about to face. I mean, the perfect storm is a is a, an important phrase for it. There is a really important role for the school finance officials to play in these next coming years to make sure that these school systems um, don't implode and and to 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 make the most of the moment. There are definitely some people are more of a um, make the most of a crisis. Every good crisis, you know, don't waste a good crisis types, right. and others are not. But either way, it's going to be uh, fairly intense, and we're gonna in you know, a lot of a lot of um, our families around the country, their their classrooms, their kids are going to depend on some of the decisions that are made as we go forward. Dr. Rosa, there's one thing I, I like to do before we do wrap up, though. Um, if you can, because there's so much, it seems like the plethora of resources here you have, you know, with the workshop coming up, with your presentation, uh, you know, monthly, um, and of course, the newsletter, could you maybe just briefly announce or summarize some of the things that your program has so folks know outside the certificate itself, um, you know, really what you have to offer, because there's so much for our peers. Sure. So the certificate in ed finance, and that's a, a credential, yes. two days in person, and then um, six virtual sessions. So you don't have to quit your job or anything to do the certificate. And we're doing a cohort in Pittsburgh in November and a cohort in Las Vegas in January. Oh, so if you need an like excuse that. to go to Las Vegas, you can do that <laughs> you one. have it. Love it. Yeah. And so then we have our Wild Ride Fiscal Cliff Workshop. And that um, is, I think it's a Thursday and a Friday at the end of September, two hours each day. So you okay. can do it as part of the workday. And then a Thursday, Friday in October. So it'll just be four two-hour virtual sessions, and you will walk away with all the data that you need to kind of manage the fiscal cliff. It doesn't come with a certificate or a credential or anything, but it is, it's is—it's for this more yeah. moment, yes. Awesome. And if you sign up on our website, we do regular 30-minute webinars free for anybody. You'll just find out about them. But if you sign up for our newsletter, you'll be on the list. You can join those if you want. You can go to the website and look at those. But those are, again, very timely. We say, do 30 minutes because we're trying to say, here's what we're seeing, and this is why it matters, um, and potentially equip people to go talk about that with their communities. You're always welcome to use our slides. We try to get people to use our stuff. So um, that's where I would start. That's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. And Dr. Rose, again, thank you so much yes. for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. We really appreciate you having on the podcast. Really yeah, appreciate thanks you. For, thank thanks you. for having me. And hopefully yes. we'll, um, we'll come, come back and do this again. Thank you again for tuning into SBO Perspectives. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Rosa today. She offered yes. quite a plethora of great advice John, and you know information. What? I have to say this. So, when we, you know, when we meet folks and we have these conversations, it's natural, right? You know, we have some questions yeah. here and there, but it's just the conversation just comes in. She brought that same energy and excitement. I yeah. got to tell you. And yeah. I mean, if you've heard our presentations, this is the reason why. But she's so knowledgeable. And passionate so where, yes, and um, I wrote down some stuff because you know, you know, this is what, I, what we do, right? Where we want to have uh, pretty much a summary or a synopsis of this episode. We want to encapsulate it in the title. So she says stuff like, "Where are all the bodies buried?" I mean, like <laughs> she said, "Buckle up." 
like which, which tile is better? I mean, you may have to ask our listeners, you know, and how do we <laughs> how do we right size our districts? This is big time stuff. So um, listeners, I hope you enjoy this. You know, we hope you enjoy this because um, this is, I got to say, one of our star episodes of the year. Yeah. And I'm um, looking forward to obviously when she gets, comes back on. But the amount of in, information, take it because it, it was um, immense. It, it's, yeah, it's and, and make sure to and take a look at the edgenomicslab.org website. I mean, mm-hmm. there, as you Correct. saw, when we were wrapping up, there were so many opportunities for school business officials to mm-hmm. really fine-tune our craft and to dive into our data and use it more purposefully. So uh, we can't thank Dr. Rose enough for, for joining us today. And for all of you listening, we'll uh, see you next week.